Hello, hello, hello. Welcome in. Welcome back. This is Polar FC, hosted by Polar Media. We're back again. We're doing Thursday again. Maybe we'll switch to Thursdays. I don't know. It seems to be our vibe. We're rolling. We're flowing. We are missing uh, K.R., who I believe he said he's flying to Mexico, right? That is correct. So I guess lucky him. Yeah, he's, he's probably going on vacation. He's going to have a good time. So we are sending him our regards. But sorry, fellas, the show must go on. We're here again. Another stacked episode. We got some fun stuff to talk about. We'll get into some Euro stuff. We'll get into some uh, UEFA stuff, some MLS stuff. But first up, Chris, you want to give us our social media plug? Once again, you can follow us on Twitter at PolarFCPod um, to get our latest episodes, latest news, anything else that we uh, throw out on there. So at PolarFCPod is the place to go for that. All right. How's everyone doing today? How you been, Vandy? Been great. I feel like this is one of the best times of the year for sports. You know, we, we finally got out of the group stages and it ended in spectacular fashion with a group of deaths. So I'm just ready to, to, to see what's next, to see who who breaks out and, and right in the middle of it and, and you know, other sports going on as well. The weather's great. That's why we're missing KR. He's in Mexico, living it up down there. I was just in LA, of course. And yeah, it's just great times right now. All right. Chris, how about yourself? How you doing? I'm, I'm doing all right. I mean, we're right in the thick of Euros right now, and that's always fun. Um, I am a bit irate at um, the situation going on with Caden uh, Clark and the New York Red Bulls, but I'll save that uh, tangent for later in the show. Uh, I know it's not the top story this week, so I'll uh, hold in my anger for the time being. All right, Chris. Well, we'll make sure to give you your time to uh, let it all out. But uh, let's start uh, right where Vandy left off. We'll start with uh, an update on Euro 2020. Uh, I'll just uh, hold on. I'll just read off some of the clubs uh, and how the groups ended up just for if our listeners haven't uh, been watching. So in Group A, we have Italy finishing first and Wales finishing second with Switzerland in third and Turkey in fourth. In Group B, we've got Belgium finishing first, Denmark second, Finland in third, and last Russia. Group C is Netherlands, Austria, Ukraine, North Macedonia. Group D, England. Croatia, Czech Republic, then Scotland. Group E, Sweden, Spain, Slovakia, and Poland. And Group F, which I presume is the uh, uh, group of death, or, or however, uh, Vandy had a better term for it. But first is, <clears throat> excuse me, France, second Germany, third Portugal, fourth Hungary. And I know we'll get right into it, starting with Group F, because I think that was the most exciting one. I have to admit, although I am a Germany fan, I have not been paying as close attention as I should. Um, I think it's just like with the timing of the matches. Uh, so like two of their matches happened, you know, 
2 or 3 p.m. here on a work day. So I can't really watch that live. Um, one of the, the match over the weekend, I happened to be in the car driving at the time, so I couldn't really watch then. So I kind of got unlucky with some of the timing, although I know it is the Euros. So obviously they're not going to, um, I guess, cater to American time zones quite as much. Um, and I just didn't have the uh, intent to watch the game, knowing the scores and everything and, and watch the replay. But it is exciting to hear. I did pay attention to the alerts coming through uh, that Germany just managed to squeeze their way in uh, to that second place spot with pulling out a draw in the late minutes of the match versus Hungary. Uh, I guess the, the second spot there guarantees the qualification for the next round. Um, and then with the third spots, there's possible qualification. So glad to hear that we qualified. Um, as I said, I don't, I don't know if they're all there. I think they definitely struggled a bit. Good to see a good performance against Portugal, who I think is a great team. But to almost fall to Hungary to have it take such an epic comeback, such an epic story in order to, to just manage a draw against the Hungarian side. Uh, I'm a little disappointed, but like I said, I guess I saw this coming a little bit. Vandy, I know, uh, were you watching that game live? Uh, me and Kayo was having a little back and forth. I was flipping through uh, the, the Portugal-France uh, showcase and then living with this uh wild ending with hungary and germany so yes i was watching all right what what did you think of it give us give us the rundown here uh i was primarily focused on portugal france um portugal needed to draw that game or they didn't necessarily needed a win but they needed at least a draw um and they were up 1-0 france Benzema finally scored. I don't know. He's just been on a cold spell. Finally scored and finally uh, scored from the penalty spot as well. He had missed his three last penalties before that. Ronaldo had two penalties. Ronaldo became the all-time leading uh, European goal scorer. So that was cool to see. And as far as Germany, uh, they had to kind of come back a little bit. I don't. I just don't understand like what their problem is. It, I don't know. If you just look at the odds makers, they have right now Italy who won three straight matches and three straight in the two, the friendly tune-up. So six straight matches total. They're plus 600, which is good for, I think, third highest odds to win. And right behind them is Germany at plus 650. I'm like, these are two completely different teams. Germany, maybe they're on the easier side of the bracket, but Germany has not looked good by any means. I mean, I'm not sold on them. I mean, I feel like they don't really have necessarily a, vo a, uh, a vocal leader as maybe they did in the past. And they shouldn't be struggling with Hungary, to say the least. I, 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 just, I just didn't understand it when I was watching. Chris, any thoughts, any takeaways from this uh, first couple matches here of Euro 2020? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> talking specifically about Germany, I feel like they've, um, I feel like they played better than like what people were saying about them coming into the tournament. But I feel like, you know, the Hungary game in particular was kind of a wake up call. 
um, even though they were able to get the draw out, it was just sort of a, you know, letting that team hang around and for a while it looks like they were going to qualify over them. Um, you know, definitely a bit concerning in that respect, but um, Germany, they've got all the talent to turn it around and, um, you know, make a run in, in deep into the knockout stages. Um, I think they could have done a lot worse in terms of drawing around a 16 opponent than England. Um, England's really struggled to finish as well, but, uh, you know, it's been a bit, bit odd seeing them continue to sort of, by their standards, at least underperform. Yeah, and I think the, the issue, I think, is lack of identity. I think the players are just ready to move on to Hansi Flick, to a new style, to some new energy in the national team. And I just don't know if um, – I don't know if they can really perform at their best just playing under the style that Lowe has them playing under. And you know me. I really don't like the back three. And they've, they've been doing that a fair bit, I guess, using uh, Kimmich and Gosens on the wings. Um, I just – I don't really love the form that they've been lining up in. Um, I feel like, yes, I feel like, yes, it's getting the best players out on the field um, because they're able to have guys like Goretzka uh, play who probably wouldn't play if they just had three midfielders across. Um, but I feel like uh, they, they need to sacrifice some of that for a form that fits the mentality of the team better, a form that I think it will help them line up against other clubs better. I just, I really, I'm not a fan of a back three. I feel like um, it causes an imbalance in the team because you really only want two uh, defensemen back in most cases. And if you have a three back, then then you're either going to have your right center or your left center back going up and then having to get back. And just, I feel like finding the balance is so much harder. If you have a back four, then your two center backs stay back and, and that's just it. And your, your right and left back are free to come on up the wings. But it's just, I really don't like the spacing. Um, and I, I think that that contributes to Germany's lackluster performance as well as just the, the mentality aspect, getting a new coach soon. And I feel like it's been, well, I know we've been talking about it a lot, but I'm sure it's on the players' minds as well. I'm, I, like I said, I'm not, or like I always say, I'm not, I'm not privy to all the history of the game being a, a pretty recent uh, follower, but I feel like this has been dragged out. I feel like a lot of times the coaching change might come quicker where the club may say, hey, like, you know, this isn't working. We're going to get a new coach rather than say, oh, this isn't working. We're going to give you another tournament and then replace you. I, I just feel like it's been drawn out. Um, but, yeah, that's that's my two cents. It's just funny because just looking at stats and I, 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 I like to be like a, a by eyesight type of person, but I also like to look at stats too. Germany had 76% percent possession in this match. There's no way you should come out of this 2-2 with 76% possession, percent possession. That's crazy. That's That means that for three quarters of the game, you had the ball and you still uh, – 
it's funny because um, Hungary scored in the 11th minute, so they took the early lead. Um, Germany picked things up thereafter. It, it, it's just crazy to think that this game ended in the draw. Wow, man. I, I think that England next round is going to is gonna give them a handful. I think they're still not – we still haven't seen England hit that third gear yet. They showed glimpses of the second gear, but once they hit that third gear, I think I think um, Germany – Germany's Germany's uh, holes within their within their back 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 line will show. Yeah, there's certainly a chance of that. I know that you know they have. Um, I mean, that's that's not been a strength for Bayern as well. I think that in in general, the the defense has been struggling uh, for Germany, and and that's. I mean, you you say it yourself. 76% possession, but you're conceding two goals. Um, I, I feel like it's it's almost worse than to say 76% possession and only scoring two. But I feel like if you can see two goals, having the ball dominating it for most of the match, it's just, just not where you want to be. Um, but, yeah, hopefully Hansi Flick can turn this thing around, uh, can kind of take the reins and, and – you know, too much momentum isn't lost, even if um, Germany gets knocked out by England in the in the next round, which I believe is coming up on Tuesday of next week. So that'll be a Tuesday at noon here. So uh, looks like I will be maybe watching the replay, but we'll see. All right. Um, so for our next story here. I uh, just wanted to give a quick update on Ericsson. Um, so there hasn't actually been quite as much news coverage as I predicted uh, last episode in terms of following him to make sure everything's all right and he's progressing in terms of health. Uh, but what we do know is that the surgery went well. He was released from the hospital. He was able to visit his teammates um, and then go spend time with his family. Um, they haven't really gotten into the specifics of the injury of, you know, I haven't really seen much in terms of like reasoning, if there was some sort of reason why this happened, or if it was just a fluke thing. Um, I know, obviously, uh, we want to respect his health. And I think we're all very grateful that he was able to um, survive and, and and really regain his health um but like i for one i definitely have some questions i want to know i, I want to know he's doing all right i want to know if, if he's going to be able to play again and you know as as a fan just hoping for the best and hoping for some positive answers there uh chris vandy any thoughts on this topic yeah i mean you know still kind of adjusting to the fact that Christian Erickson went through what he went through. Like it's a lot to process, especially, you know, not that it matters, but he's also, you know, one of the, one of arguably the face of that Denmark team, um, someone who played such a big role and, you know, to see someone who was so important to that team go through that. I mean, obviously you don't want to see it to anybody, but you know, that just makes it even more of a, a more of a shock. Um, you know, I hope we can see him, play again but I mean I don't know too many of the specifics obviously but um you know it's hard stuff you never know if it's like something genetic or something that they didn't find before 
you know, that's the kind of thing that can end someone's career out of nowhere. So, um, you know, fingers crossed that it works out, but, um, you know, I wouldn't rule anything out at this point. Yeah, certainly our thoughts and prayers with him. Uh, we hope to bring you guys uh, positive news about him in the coming weeks uh, as he regains health. Um, moving on, Chris, I want to give you your opportunity. I want you to give, give you a chance to let out all oh, this pent-up rage. Um, so as of, I believe, today, uh, Airbnb Leipzig have completed uh, the signing of American teenager Caden Clark from the New York Red Bulls. Um, and Chris has something to say. Yeah. So uh, first off, I want to say, you know, nothing against Caden Clark himself. I actually really enjoyed watching him play for my club over the past year. And he's going to be on loan to New York until the end of the season. So it's not like he's just packing up and leaving this season. Um, so uh, nothing against him at all. I think he is a player that U.S. fans, I don't want to say underrated necessarily, but I feel like they aren't as aware of him. Uh, as they should be. This is someone who has uh, the ceiling of a Christian Pulisic, of a Weston McKinney, of a Tyler Adams. Uh, he is someone who could reach that caliber, only 18 years old, but already playing at a very high level. Actually, I would say he's our um, best attacking player in New York right now. Uh, but that's not, that's not um, where I'm going with this. What bothers me about this is Major League Soccer, and specifically the New York Red Bulls, and unless you're a top five or like, you know, in the rare case of an Ajax or a Porto or one of those clubs, you are, at least in terms of young talent, a selling league or a selling team. You know, you're going to develop young players. They'll fall out for you for a couple of years and they'll go on to a higher level, which is in and of itself, not necessarily a bad thing. The problem is when the team involved is essentially selling the player to themselves in the sense that they're owned by the same company. They're run by the same people. They're not quite affiliates, but it's almost like a minor league type arrangement that they've gotten uh, with Leipzig and, and, uh, and New York and Salzburg. And it really bothers me because I feel like when you sell a young player to someone where you have like a conflict of interest in the, the Bundesliga team is going to try and get them on the cheap. We don't know the terms of this deal. My fear is that it's a free transfer, which would just be malpractice on the part of the Red Bulls if that's the case. I hope that's not the case, but um, until we know the terms of the deal, I can't really say one way or the other. But between this and Tyler Adams, and you just know next time a young player comes up because the Red Bulls have one of the best academies in MLS, um, so there will be a next time. Um, I'm afraid it's just going to be New York to Leipzig, and that's just how it's going to be. And um, I'm fine with being a selling league. I've said it to people. I said um, being an MLS fan is more like being a college sports fan than being an NFL fan in the sense that you know, you're, the best players come and go, especially the young ones. But, you know, that doesn't mean that it's not worth watching. But there's a difference between being college basketball and being the Somerset Patriots. And I don't want to be a fan of the Somerset Patriots. And that's sort of where I'm at right now. I kind of don't like how the Red Bulls, like a club that I supported my entire life, has essentially been turned into a triple-A Bundesliga team. Um, and it kind of bothers me as a fan. Still love the team, but that's the kind of thing that really bothers me. So, Yeah, Chris, I, I totally see where you're coming from. I understand your anger. 
Um, I think one parallel I can draw uh, to Bayern is they have a similar sort of relationship, I believe, with, I think it's Dallas, FC Dallas. It's, it's one of the teams in Texas for the MLS. I don't, I don't know if it's quite the same in the sense that I don't think they're actually affiliated or there's any like monetary connection, but they just have a strong relationship with the Bayern club and they send their players there to do trainings and give me coaches. And it's, it's, uh, I'd say it's like, it's more than a casual relationship. It's like a strong relationship and Bayern will try to get players from that club. Um, unfortunately, I think, uh, they were trying to sign, I believe, Justin Chi, I want to say, is his name. Um, and they weren't able to do it, yeah. but uh, he, he, he stayed with uh, the MLS team. But what my point is, Chris, and, and I know you've said you really don't want to be uh, that, the, in a sense, triple A, uh, to make a baseball reference, to uh, a European club. But I feel like, I feel like there is some upside in doing that. And I feel like there's some upside if the relationship is actually even more strengthened and obvious where, where players towards the end of their careers can stay with their same club and transfer to the American side. And you get to see some high level profile players come to America and play and there's a better um, there's a better structure for doing that and for drawing some of these talents to the US and making it easy because you know we talk about it all the time we say Messi wants to come play in America Ronaldo maybe wants to come play in America you know it's it's a different market there's a lot of branding there's a ton of money there's opportunities for uh, MLS to draw star players from Europe, but I feel like there isn't, uh, I feel like the, the relationship between European clubs and U.S. clubs might be able to kind of enforce that uh, transition where top players will come and play in America and maybe they won't always believe that they could play with a cigarette in their mouth. Vandy, any thoughts here? Seems like that Igwe comment is still uh, lingering in your mind. But um, <laughs> no, I think it's important for the MLS to have a good balance of this old, old, uh, out of prime stars coming to the league while also trying to build their reputation as a sustainable league and not some AAA to a, to a bigger club. And I think it starts with their showing whenever they play the big size. Like, there's no way that you can have an MLS All-Star squad play, let's say, a Real Madrid and lose. Like, what does that mean? That means that Real Madrid is better than the entire league. I mean, stuff like that, it, 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 they have to stop that stuff. I know maybe it's a moneymaker or whatever the case may be, but stuff like that just isn't a good look for your league. Like, imagine... Just imagine, like the let's who like for an NBA team for reference. Let's let, let's imagine that that the that the Nets were were playing the, the best Euroleague teams. Obviously, I would I would take the Nets with that. But if they did that, that clearly shows that the Euroleague will always be inferior to the NBA. You know what I'm saying? So 
in order for the MLS to gain to gain to get out of this sort of triple A uh, college atmosphere where it's like they not there the players aren't going to be there for long. It's for them to. That's why I like that salary cap rule where you can have three players that go over the salary cap. You can pay them whatever you want. Um, they got to start doing more initiatives like that and start bringing in notable faces to the league. Not that they aren't already doing that, but continue to do that so that they don't get trapped in this mold of you'll never be good enough to uh, be on the same playing field as these European counterparts unless you form an all-star roster amongst your best league players. Yeah, and, you know, I think that my, my issue is not necessarily that they're selling Caden Clark to Europe because that's, like, the pipeline almost everywhere. And, and, you know, the goal long-term for MLS should be to compete with the best leagues in the world, Premier League, the Bundesliga, and all these others. I know that's way off, even though the league's made a lot of process. Obviously, progress is still, obviously, a long way to go. Um, that's not my issue. My issue is more of it almost feels like Red Bull is colluding to like get him on the cheap because if i find out that they got him for like a transfer fee of like one million dollars i'm going to go absolutely ballistic because he is worth so much more than that on the open market um and you know that hurts the club long term because that's money that isn't getting reinvested back into the club into you know buying other players or youth development or whatever the case may be um so you know that that's really the heart of my frustration so yeah yeah, and I think maybe where you're getting at as well is, you know, I'm thinking how, how will even say they did get them on the cheap, like what is, what are they getting in return, right? They're getting this relationship with Airby Leipzig in return and maybe in return for giving up a star player for cheap, they'll get an older player down the line in a similar scenario. And I see what you mean, Chris, where that's infuriating and you're like, well, you know, we don't want to just like take older players who are, are out of their prime and want to make some money. We want to have our young Timo Werner anytime they wanted to when they didn't. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. So you know, you want to keep your youngsters. You want to grow the talent in the league uh, to try to get to that same pedigree. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why it's tough for the MLS to try to compete with Europe because if you don't have that same atmosphere, you don't have that same salary, you don't have that same respect, players will see it as a career move to, you know, start in the MLS, make, some, make a splash, and then try to go to Europe. Um, and I think it's, it's a tough, tough place for the MLS to be in. They've got to keep growing. They've got to keep growing interest in the game as well as uh, the money aspect as well. But what about those... What about those 16, 17-year-old kids that are prodigies? Or like a perfect example, Callum Hudson-Odoi for Chelsea. He's a great talent, great dribbler, but he gets no minutes because we're just playing well right now. We don't really need him. What about incentivizing him to come to the MLS for a year or two, dominate the league, showcase that you should be a starter on a Premier League team, and then maybe transfer him out and make money off of that loan. Like, I think MLS needs to invest in young European players who aren't necessarily happy at their current clubs. Um, and I think if you can incentivize them to say, hey, come here on a one or two year deal, let it look good for you. You can boost your stats, you can go back. And some players in some cases who are 
let's say like a Jesse Lingard. He's obviously way older, but like he's unhappy with Man U. He has the the sort of the big name, England International. Hey, come to the MLS, dominate, and you know make your bread. Just like uh, I don't know if you guys are gonna remember, just like Oscar, uh, the the one named Brazilian that used to play for Chelsea. China incentivized him to play for for for. Um, to play for to play for the league, we never heard of him again, and he's making his money. I'm not saying a situation like that, but sort of where it's like, okay, we're gonna pay you well. Um, you're gonna come to the league, and, and you're gonna still be able to do this, um, especially if you're not gonna be able to be that 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 in that starting eleven or or a regular bench piece. Like Callum Hudson-Odoi, he's in a very difficult position right now. He's a young player. He was developing well. He's playing well whenever he got the minutes, but there's just no. There's just no room for him in the roster, especially because Chelsea's pursuing all these attackers this summer. I think a perfect move for him would be go to go to an MLS side and just be the centerpiece of the team. Or uh, other than that, it's, 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 it's just fight for your position within Chelsea. But I think that's going to be tough. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's kind of what I was saying with like building a relationship and you know maybe not treating it exactly like a AAA team, but treating it like like a stronger side in a way. So not exactly like AAA, but a little bit and accepting that relationship and saying, look, you know, we'll, we'll be friendly with you, but we want, we want players on loan for a year. We want a guy like that. Who's got some talent. Who's not getting minutes. We're going to try to give him minutes in a competitive league in a big market. It's going to be a good opportunity for this player who's going on loan and it's going to be a good opportunity for the club because they're not really going on loan if it's a if it's a good relationship between the teams um, and the, the players will feel more comfortable. The teams will get more out of it. Um, and I think that's kind of where I was going with with kind of accepting that that position that the MLS is in and making even stronger ties with some European clubs. But Chris, any thoughts? Yeah. And, and look, I. You're gonna remember I should be targeting these younger players, and uh, you know, I think someone like Callum Hudson Odoi, um, you know, I would love to see him on a team like the Red Bulls. Um, I just don't want to watch a league where Manchester City's and Chelsea's and Leipzig's of the world just buy a team in a different American city and then they basically could just do whatever they want with it. And the top priority is no longer winning MLS Cup, winning Supporter Shield. It's uh, how do we develop players for the mother club. That's what I'm, that's my concern. And I feel like it, it's better for the league, both from an optics perspective and just from an overall quality of product perspective. If the teams stand on their own and, you know, you can, there's nothing stopping you from selling someone like Caden Clark or Tyler Adams to Europe. Uh, but you can, you know, talk to a couple different teams, get, get some bids in and, uh, you know, see where, uh, see what you can get for him. Um, but you're never going to get where MLS wants to go if you have basically AAA teams for Champions League teams in your league. It just it kills the league, kills the image of the league, the perception of the league, and it just kills like the upward momentum that they might have. I agree, Chris. That is definitely a valid concern when it comes to uh, losing the will to win and, and just focusing on being a farm club, which, of course, isn't going to help grow the game, isn't going to help grow the market. Um, in other news here today, uh, UEFA has done away with the away goals rule. 
Um, I think it was pretty much like a, a, a uni, uh, I don't know if unilateral is the right word, but a singular rule where that was basically the only thing they changed. So it wasn't like they made any other changes. Basically, they just said uh, no away goals. They would play uh, extra time, I believe, um, instead in, in that sense. I know, Chris, um, you have uh, long – uh, on this podcast, been talking about how you don't really like the two-leg structure. Uh, I'm curious to hear if you think this helps it out a little bit uh, in terms of, you know, kind of getting rid of that lag game if the first game ends up being a blowout. Yeah, well, I think, first off, I don't think they're going to get rid of the two two-leg anytime soon just because double the games means double the money for UEFA and for the TV partners. So I don't think that's very likely, but I do think this is a step in the right direction because, you know, in this age of football, getting in a way result isn't quite as difficult as it used to be. Especially when you're talking about clubs that are basically more or less peers to each other um, in terms of quality. Uh, you know, it's just, it, it never really, like there's no other sport that does that. There's no NBA world where, if the series is tied after three games, they add up the points from the away teams and whoever the most points in the away game wins. And, like, if you tried to propose that, it would be just an absurd proposal. And I'm glad that they're moving away from this. MLS moved away from it for a couple of years before. They scrapped the two-leg structure. I think it's just such a drastically better uh, format of doing it. And, you know, I think this is ultimately a net positive for Champions League. Chris, weren't, you, talk- Chris, weren't you talking about I, I don't I forget if it was Juve or Barcelona, but you were saying one of them, if it wasn't for the away goals, they would have easily lost. Do you remember that we we're talking about on the on the pod? Vaguely, I don't remember the specific team or game. If that's what you're asking, so it was a I think a team was up three one. They played really well, and then yeah. they they lost two zero or something like that in the second leg, and then they weren't able to advance because of away goals. But I don't remember what team it was. Yeah, I don't remember either. I'm completely spacing out on that. But that's the kind of thing I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, that, in, in general, it's like those situations should not be – you shouldn't be penalized for playing a fantastic game one for a team having a ridiculous game two. You know what I'm saying? It should, you should yeah. go to extra time. You should earn that. Yes, 100%. And, you know, if, if you know they play two relatively even games and the score is even, you know, that usually means that, you know, they played roughly even. I don't think using away goals to break it up, um, you know, doesn't, you know, I don't think that really settles in a, in a satisfactory way. Plus it adds like to all these uh, weird tactical adjustments. Like if you're, you're up uh, two goals or something and, you know, your, your away goals is in your favor, whatever the case may be, like it could cause you to play more conservative or, you know, run up the score the other way. It, it just messes with the tactics too much. I just it never liked it. I'm glad they're getting rid of it. Um, and I think that could be a good first step towards my ultimate goals of world domination through a single elimination championship. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I know that's on the top of your mind, Chris. Um, looking at, I think, some of the reaction from different personalities, different analysts in the soccer world, I didn't hear a lot of pushback. Um, because, I mean, you, you usually expect at least a little bit especially if longstanding rules are getting changed, but it seems like people are mostly in agreement that this is probably a good move. Um, and even though it may change the strategy a little, 
from what it is now, it goes to something more straightforward, more understandable. Um, the only thing, the only kind of criticism that I heard from a, a couple of the folks was that this isn't really important. Like this shouldn't be at the top of UEFA's to-do list. You know, they've got lots of stuff coming out about qualification for the Champions League and the Europa Leagues. They've got obviously dealing with the fallout of the Super League. Um, sorry, Vandy, I had to say it. Um, but yeah, basically people are saying, well, UEFA, you got a, a lot of things on your plate. Why, why are we worrying about this now? Like, yes, yeah, we, we agree with the change. We think it's helpful, but there are bigger fish to fry here in, in a way. Any thoughts on that, guys? Uh, I was waiting for Vandy to say something. Um, oh yeah, I was just I was just letting you go because that's how the rotation was going. Oh okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I more or less just agree with what Jacob was saying. So, Vandy, if you got anything you want to add on to that, I think just UEFA has a lot of chances to change their perception, and they just fail in the nose so many times. I don't know what it is. It's just like. You, you have these things in place, like the, the 2019 tweet. Is, it's just funny, two years and two years, looking back from, looking back on it, it's like, damn, well, much hasn't changed with your stance or the the, the politics that, that, that are at, at play still have a say in, in how you, how you, um, how you delegate your decision-making. Most of all, this just tells me that UEFA is a very not that it, not that it's a secret to anybody, but UEFA is very money driven, and I feel like whatever leads to the most money for them, that's kind of what they're that's kind of what they'll they'll side with. Um, they don't want to lose any sponsorship. They don't want to make anybody unhappy. They don't really care about what the fans say. The fans aren't paying them. The fans get, uh, will sell tickets, but at the end of the day, the 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 the, the, the ballers are the ones that, that are leading these corporations that that. Um, maybe siding with the Hungarians and may not may not necessarily um, may not necessarily want this either. Uh, they still have a lot of work to do, of course. It's just one of those things where if you're a fan, you, you'd hope it, it didn't come down to that. Yep. Yeah, I think that's about right. You know, it's just you know they're trying to try to be everything to everybody, and you know that doesn't always work. Um, and unfortunately, you end up. If you try to make everybody happy, you might end up just pissing everybody off. And that's sort of what's happened here. Yeah, I see what you mean. I think how I would see it is that they're probably going for an easy win here. They want to make something that, all right, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. This, this, We can all agree here um, because I do envision some more things coming out about the Champions League qualification, about the Super League, about what's going on in uh, – uh, European and world soccer. So I imagine they're probably going for an easy win. They're thinking we'll, we'll take up the easy stuff first and then work on some of the harder stuff. So I know I, for one, am excited uh, about hearing some of the new rules changes, new stuff that they're considering in our now almost post COVID world. So without further ado, 
we will take you all into our segment here called Extra Time. Now, if you're new to the pod, this is, this is a relatively new segment here. Basically, I'm going to ask the guys some questions, and they're going to give me a short one-minute max answer. Uh, and we'll keep it fun, uh, and we'll keep it light. So let's see here. What have I got first? All right, Chris, Chris, you're up first here. You ready? I was born ready, Jacob. All right. Manchester United are set to make Paul Pogba the highest play- paid player in the Prem with a new five-year contract worth around £104 million. Additionally, Harry Kane is also rumored to be receiving uh, an offer of about a hundred million pounds from Man City. Is the market saturated or are these players worth it? I mean, of all, there are players in the Premier League that are worth Paul Pogba money. I don't know if I would consider Paul Pogba to be one of them. I mean, he's all right. Like, he, he, his stock sort of fell when he went from Juventus to. Manchester United and I felt like it never really got back to where it was before like he's still he's still a good midfielder like you know if he was on my team I wouldn't be too upset about it but that is an obscene amount of money for a player of his caliber I'm sorry um you know Kane say what you want about him he he has a nose for the goal and he'll find the back of the net when you need him to um so I can at least justify it in that sense so I just think in the Pogba situation, it's tough because the consistency isn't there. It's like he's one of those players that shows up when he feels like it. He doesn't give you that 100% in every game. Like watching France, he's, he was their, by far their best player in the group stages, in my opinion. He just was controlling the pitch. But at times, it seems like where's that burst at Man U? You only show it in certain games. I need that every single, I need that every single night. If, if I'm paying you 104 million pounds, you know what I'm saying? So that's the only thing for me. But if Pogba brings his A game in every single match, then you can debate. I think he, right behind De Bruyne, is one of the best, is probably the second best playmaker in the world, in my opinion. It's just that he doesn't do it at a highly sustainable rate. And that's why some people uh, knock him for that. And I don't blame them. Yeah, I think, and for me, the thing that caught my eye about both these offers is the age of the players, uh, both around 27, 28 years old. In soccer, especially, I know there's a premium on young players, on youth that show talent and show opportunity. And I think that it's highlighted a little bit more in soccer than in some of the other sports we follow. Um, Just like how important it is to get good youngsters that can grow and develop at your club. So it's interesting to see, you know, some of these guys, yes, they are top players, but, you know, 27, 28 in soccer is is starting to get up there because so many of the players are starting at 17, 18 years old. Um, so it's interesting to see getting top contracts at, at that age, but, you know, you can't, you can't, I feel like you can't knock it personally. They're good players, and I, I, I feel, although that the market is saturated, I believe, 
um, they, they deserve it. So, Vandy, next question here is for you. Multiple French fans missed a Euro 2020 match versus Hungary. The game was in Budapest. They traveled to Bucharest. Uh, they not only went to the wrong stadium, but they went to the wrong country completely. If you accidentally went to the wrong country for a soccer game, why would you allow, like, what would it take to allow this story to get published by you, about you? <laughs> oh, go ahead, Chris, if you have something funny. Oh, no, 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 my thing was on. Sorry, go ahead. I just think that, <laughs> honestly, I think that's a common thing more than people realize. Like, Bucharest and Budapest, I feel like if you ask the average person, they wouldn't be able to tell you which one's in Hungary. They'd be like, oh, I didn't know those were two completely different countries. I, I think it happens a lot, so it's just a funny, <laughs> a funny headline to hit at. Wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it, it's something that happens a while. Uh, and it wasn't just those. Only, th- those were just the only two that we know of. More people made that mistake. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the interesting part is Somebody in that group was like, you know, it'd be really funny if ESPN wrote a story about us going to the wrong country. Like they were like, oh, they got there. They got to the wrong country. Somebody like checked their they got their passport stamp. They were like, wait a minute. Wait, it's it 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 says different country. Like we're not we're not in the right place. And then somebody else was like, oh, you know, it'd be good. Like if we talked to ESPN and we said, hey, we accidentally flew to the wrong country. Want to write an article about us? Like, I just think that that like mental processing is so, so funny. I mean, I wouldn't even tell, like if I were like, you know, going with my friends, I wouldn't even tell my family. They'd be like, how was the game? Good. That's it. You don't have to tell anybody. <laughs> Although Nobody will know. Bit, I do find it a bit weird. And I kind of noticed this uh, during the final match day. Um, how Hungary was in the group, but the the game that they hosted, the last game, was France-Portugal. Uh, you know what I mean? Because so many teams have been playing in their home stadium, and I know, you know Germany was playing in their home stadium, but, like, you know, I found that kind of weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely uh, kind of a weird ending. You'd think they'd at least try to have it end on, on a positive note like that, though I, I – I assume maybe at least some of the following games uh, will be played there. I know we're still dealing with neutral sites and things with COVID and along those lines. So it's possible that that some more games are played there even. All right, Chris, next up here. So we've talked earlier today. We talked last episode about Christian Erickson's concerning injury. Do you think that this will stick in the minds of soccer fans out there similar to the likes of Kevin Ware or Paul George when we think about injuries happening to uh, American players? That's a good question as I turn my mic on on purpose this time instead of accidentally. Um, You know, I think it's a bit different. You can't really compare it with those because like, it wasn't like an injury caused by soccer. It was just he went into cardiac arrest uh, on the field and he just happened to be playing at the time. So it's kind of like an 
apples to oranges comparison. I do hope that, you know, not so much like, you know, you want the fans to remember it too, is like a cautionary tale, but people who really need to remember it are the officials at UEFA and FIFA or even domestic leagues. Um, Cause that's the kind of thing that can happen at any given moment, uh, rare as it is. And, you know, you want to make sure you're on your game. You want to make sure you're like uh, pre-screening and pre-testing uh, is up to par. Um, and, you know, you want to have that at a good, good level. So, um, you know, it's sort of a warning for everybody to be cautious about that kind of thing. Uh, you don't want any underlying conditions to slip through the cracks. So, um, you know, that's, that's sort of where I stand on that. Yeah, and it makes sense, especially with COVID and all. Uh, the The eye of the public has been on the health of the players, um, and we hope that they take that that the regulatory bodies and the leagues take that responsibility seriously. Vandy, Mohamed Salah is unlikely to travel to the Tokyo Olympics to represent Egypt next month. Sources have told ESPN. Uh, the uh, president of the Egyptian Football Association uh, seems to want Salah, and it seems like Salah may want to play, but it's unlikely that Jurgen Klopp will allow the player to be selected. If you were Jurgen Klopp, would you let him play? Yes. Um, it's not like you're Man City and you folded your chance to win the Champions League. No shade. But, um, yeah, man, just allow him to build on what a great career he's already had. Uh, you don't have – especially the situation that we're in with this COVID, COVID Olympic year, the best players aren't going to be representing each country. That's, that's a fact. And there's an age limit. I don't know if people are aware. There's an age limit or to the players that you can have on a team. I think you can have – uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Only three players over the age of 23 or 21. I can't forget. 24. Three over 23. You, you got it right. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. You can't have three players over that age. So, Salah's easily going to be one of the best players in the entire event. So, Egypt has a good chance already. And if Egypt should bring home the Golden Olympics, that's going to be a great look for his career. Just think about what Neymar did when he broke down on on, on his knees after uh, clutching that that penalty to, to get Brazil the gold. So um, this is just one of those things that I saw to I saw for the great career he's had. And I think if you're a club, you got to allow him to do it. Um, I, don't, I don't think anything looms as a large risk. It's not like um, it's not like you're you're in the hunt for something that you haven't already already done yet. You've, you've won the Prem, you've, you've won the Champions League. Not to say that you don't want to win those again. It'll be nice if you're a Liverpool fan, you want to keep, you want to win it for 10 years straight if you could. But, you know, it's just one of those things that'd be nice to see Salah raise that trophy. So let him get the chance to. All right. And with our last question of the night, I'll give everybody a chance with this one. Uh, Stuttgart striker Salas Kat Tompa Mvumpa has been banned for three months and fined after revealing that he had been playing under a false identity. Now, this wasn't like identity theft or anything like that. It, it turns out he had been playing under a false age, and that was really the, the main thing. But my question for the two of you is, whose identity would you want to steal in the soccer world? 
I was going to say, I'd be surprised if he had a false identity with that name. You think he'd pick a name with less syllables, but um, <laughs> that's a good question. When you I'm, say I'm going to go like, first because I, I had the, the okay. benefit of, of getting to brainstorm here. So I'll give you guys a moment okay, to go think. Ahead. I am going to pick like a backup goalkeeper position. Really? Because I feel like you're you're uh, not really going to play very often, but you're with the first team all the time. You make pretty good wages. Like you're always kind of in the lineup, but probably never going to play. I also feel like, like that might be like the only position that I feel like I could maybe, maybe like fake it till I make it. So maybe- everything else would be way, way too hard, but. Backup goalkeeper, I think I could kind of like, you know, kind of just take like shooting practice from people. It's, it's, it's probably not, not too hard of a job. So I could, I could fake it. And it's also like a, a good position to be in where you're not really expected that much of you. So you want to be Ethan Horvath and save the day, basically. Yeah, That's- yeah. I mean, I don't even have to get in the game. I just, I just want to sit on the bench. I got courtside or uh, fieldside seats for every game. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask what what makes you pick goalkeeper as like the one position you think you have a good grip on? Because I feel like like goalkeeper is like a lot about athleticism, and okay. well, I I will admit my my footwork skills are are not perfect. I think like I'm decently athletic. I'm kind of a tall guy. I got long arms. Like I think I could like at least like. Yeah, at least fake it a little. Not look too out of place. Okay, I respect that. Vandy, what were you going to say? Well, I, I, I want the spotlight. I want to be I want to be a player that's that's up and coming that people don't don't yet know but is that I think is going to be good and I want to be somebody that can be at a club that isn't necessarily a juggernaut and can possibly turn a, a club into a juggernaut. Um, so that's that's a tough one. But I'm going to say Jude Bellingham. The reason I say that is because you still got like 15 years of soccer at the highest level. And in a few years, everybody will want you. And you could possibly want to be one of the best players at your position because you're so young playing in the first team and scoring on Bayern in the Champions League. So that's just me. Yeah, exactly. And it gives you the the opportunity here to grow, to show off, to to prove everybody wrong and to come out on top. Chris. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, if we're talking, you know, a specific player, I probably have to go with Tyler Adams, Uh, you know, similar to Bellingham, very young uh, talent, uh, someone who's got a lot of upside and is already playing an integral role uh, with the national team and with his Bundesliga club. what I like about Adams in particular is that he's got the ability to play multiple positions. His natural, natural position is a six um, sitting deep in that defensive midfield, but he can also play on the wing backs if needed. He can provide you a bit of a passing threat going forward. Um, and he just does a lot of things on both ends of the field. And, uh, you know, that's something that, um, you know, I, I find very, very intriguing and exciting about his game. So. All right. Well, Thank you guys for taking part in extra time here. I appreciate 
the thoughtfulness for your answers. And it was a lovely time having you with me here tonight. So thanks for all our listeners and we'll catch you same time next week.